Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. If you go all in, you know, you're going to be successful. I'm going to be more successful than you don't. Wallace used to have the, you know, the saying table stakes, and it's more than table stakes. You're going to be successful. I mean, you need to go big or go home. Welcome to another episode of the PEO Podcast. Today, Andreas is joined by CEO of SWBC, Norman Paul. He and Andreas talk about the roles Napio plays in the industry, scaling successfully, and how to flex your service model muscle to maximize results. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, so first of all, I really wanted to thank you for dedicating all the time to it. So to give the audience a little bit of a background here, we we already had another session and the sound quality wasn't good enough. So we are recording this again today and I really appreciate you know, all, all the effort and, and time you're putting into this. So let's get started with, uh, with, with our first question here. And I want to know... Is there something interesting, like a fact about you that maybe even your team doesn't know about you? Well, I'm pretty much so an open book. So I have a staff of 55 or so employees and everybody pretty much knows Norman. They know I I drive a Vespa and I don't have a big motorcycle. I enjoy playing really bad golf. You know, I've been married for 42 years and and with a very strong-willed wife and have raised three daughters who are all very strong-willed. And within my staff of 55 or so, I think 50 of them are women. So mm. I am fairly well domesticated by now. And uh, But something that they probably don't know is that I have a, a name, Norman Paul. And Norman is a name that I don't think anybody's named their son Norman in probably 40 years. I'm 67. So I, I, I feel like I'm one of the very last ones. But my family actually calls me Butch. And so I have these two really bizarre names. I think that's the reason why I have three daughters, because my wife was just hell-bent that we were not going to have a son and he would be Norman the Third or, you know, Butch Jr. So as she says, Butch is a dog's name. So so and, the only people that call me that is the family and nobody in the office. So. Okay, so I assume we're going with Norman then today, not with Butch. Yeah, yeah, please, Norman. So. Perfect. What's what's the background around the the Vespa? Is that kind of like one of those Italian scooters? Yeah, I got a. You know, it's a one fifty. It does about sixty yeah. miles an hour. You know, the big joke was Pat Cleary, who's the president of of Napio. When I got inducted as chair, I did a little video that Pat and I are very con- have a lot in common. Both our wives are named Kathleen. We have, I think, our two daughters are born on the same day. Both are young lawyers. But what's different is that Pat drives a BMW motorcycle and I have my Vespa, you know. I call it the piglet. But, you know, we we went to Italy a couple of years ago, you know, a couple of times. And I just, I just always thought they were cool, you know. And I just tool around the neighborhood and go get the mail and, you know. So it, it's fun, but... Yeah, exactly. That that sounds like a lot of fun. So, so tell us your story about how you got into the PO space. 
Well, I think it was in 19, I'm, again, I'm an attorney by trade and their training or both. And in 1987 or so, I left the law firm here in San Antonio, went and started my own practice. And I met a guy who had a PNC agency next door to me by the name of Wallace Brumley. And one day Wallace said, have you ever heard of staff leasing? And I said, a guy in my Rotary Club was just talking about it. It sounds like witch doctoring to me. I didn't quite understand it. Wallace then, I introduced the two. He he flew up to Washington, D.C. to the predecessor of Napio, came back and said, I'm going into the staff leasing business. So this was probably in 1987 or so, 88. We did his first contract and uh, he, he got into the business and I represented him as his outside counsel from 88 to 2001, when he, again, with my three daughters, he said, you need to provide for three weddings. You need to come, you know, quit billing by the hour. He was tired of paying me by the hour and thought he could get a discount if I came in-house. So I came in-house in 2001. Just to continue the story, 2011, Morgan Wallace decided to retire, and I helped negotiate the sale of the business to SC, which is a very large privately owned financial services company here in San Antonio. It's owned by Charlie Amato and Gary Dudley. You know, they're classic, traditional Texas entrepreneurs. You know, Charlie's on the Dallas Fed, you know, Regent, you know, Texas, both of them are in Texas Business Hall of Fame. And they decided that they needed a PEO and purchased one. So I stayed on and then they asked me ultimately to run it. And so I've been doing that for like the last 10 years or so. So, and, and, and are you tell us about your current position, right? Like, what are, what are your current priorities uh, in the business? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm the CEO of the PEO. A lot of people laugh about the title. You know, we've grown it. I, when Charlie and Gary bought the company, it was right after the Great Recession. So we had downsized from around 5,000 worksite employees, about 3,500 when they acquired it. We're up to over 16,000 worksite employees. I think our staff was about 25 internal, and we're up to pushing 60 now. So we're set up like just about every other PEO. We, you know, we have our various departments and, and managers of each department and, you know, payroll, workers' comp, loss control, benefits. One of the things that's, in my opinion, has really changed about the industry and that I, you know, I tell a lot of people, when I first got into it, it was mostly blue collar. It was payroll and workers' comp, you know, and now it's really evolved. I, I would say that most of our clients that we're bringing on are white collar or gray color. You know, people are coming to us now. Payroll is a commodity. Workers' comp is not real important to them. They need it, but, you know, it's not something that's driving the equation. They're here for the, the, for the benefits and for the HR assistance and the technology. And I think that that's the other thing that's really changed about the industry is that even, you know, seven, eight years ago, we didn't even have an ACE department. Now we have six people in that department. You know, all they do is assist our clients with the technology pieces and all the various plug and play that we have available for them. So I, I think that the industry is transformed from, you know, blue collar payroll workers comp to white collar technology, HR outsourcing. And I think it's really been great for the industry. So. So lots to to further dug into here. Let me maybe go back in time with you. You mentioned that you know 
you have a lower degree, you wear the in-house cons, and then you transition to the CEO position, right? You know, during that time where you transitioned into the CEO position of the, the P, what were maybe some of the skills or framework or techniques that were important for you to be successful, right? And, and where, what kind of help did you get, whether it's in the industries or from mentors? What was important for you to be successful in that transition to a CEO? You know, I think that, you know, just from the leadership standpoint, you know, that's that's one piece of it. And it's probably something that, you know, I can admittedly say I probably have personally struggled with more than anything. You know, I've just... I was a solo practitioner and I, you know, had my, you know, my, you know, a number of clients that I would provide services for, you know, had a small law office and and now to be managing, you know, 50 or 60 people, it's just, it's a huge difference. The But what, what really isn't, what makes it not so different is the fact that we have a really strong management structure. So I have our senior vice president of operations, Kim Pollack. She's kind of my right-hand, you know, person. She always oversees many of these departments. And then we have a strong, you know, management team. So really when it comes down to it, you know, you're only managing actively a handful of people and, or they're managing me, one of the two. And uh, so, but I, I think that what's helped me from the CEO position is working with the clients. I think that I was talking to somebody about it the other day, and and I think what prides my, what I'm very proud about about our PEO is we were able to attract you know great clients and we keep them for a long period of time because much we become a trusted business partner with them. We talked a little bit about this last time with the pandemic. I think that you know the pandemic was absolutely horrible, but there's one upside to it is I think we we were able to reestablish to our clients what a valuable trusted business partner we are, a business advisor. And I, and I enjoy that. I mean, you know, that I'm able to talk to the owners of our clients and I'm not, I have to caution them up front. You know, I am an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. We can't provide legal services. We don't have attorney client mm-hmm. privilege, but you know, I can still, help them and assist them as a trusted business advisor. And I think that, I think that that's been helpful. So So it seems like there were two concepts for you that, that, that set you up for success as a CEO. One one is what you described, right? It's like, you know, getting the right players and the right seats on the bus, so to speak, right? Really hiring a great team, great leadership team, right? That that can execute. And then, you know, you focus on the clients, right? And, and being client-centric and whatnot over the years. I would be curious to understand, like, when it comes to clients and, and feedback, you know, how do you manage your success there? You, men- you mentioned clients are staying with you for a long time. Are there certain KPIs that, that you manage, measure, like, Churn rate, are there ways employee satisfaction or whatnot that, that you're filling out? How do you measure client satisfaction with your business? You know, and we probably don't do it objectively well enough. We do do client surveys. We keep track of, you know, our clients, you know, you know, the longevity of them, you know. We work very, we tell every client that comes on and one of the first things we, we try and do is make sure that us as managers and me as the CEO and Kim as the SVP of operations that we start building a personal relationship with the clients. Because I think that's really what you want. We're going to make mistakes. Our team's going to make mistakes. What we do 
is really complicated. That's the reason why people hire us. And, you know, we're going to stumble from time to time. And But what I tell our clients, especially our newest ones, is here's my here's my card. You know, it's got my cell phone on it. You can call me any day of the week, 24 hours a day. I will answer. And if there's ever an issue, you know, you can start with the top. I mean, you can start from the bottom, but if you want to start from the top, you know, and contact Kim or, or me, feel free to do so. I mean, what we're here to, you know, if, if we make a mistake, we're going to own it and we're going to make it right. And uh, so I, I think that that's what's helpful. And, and I think clients appreciate that. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, to your point, like the ultimate yeah, feedback of success is how long are these clients staying with you, right? And if that's a decade or more, that, that obviously speaks for itself. Yeah. And then, like, you know, it resonated with me how you spoke about, like, you know, of course, in any business, right, things, things will happen and you know, things might go wrong and, and whatnot. But, like, it is to your point in the response, right? How do you as an organization react to that, right? Are you clearly identifying the root causes and, and fixing that? And, like, that oftentimes can can then actually strengthen the, the relationship. So I want to go back to a comment, to my note here, a comment that you made earlier, if I understood correctly, you said you had, you know, kind of at, at the low point around three and a half thousand worksite employees, and now you scaled up to 16,000. If, if that, if my notes are correct here, you know, Norman, what was, you know, incredible accomplishment, right? Like, what were the two or three keys to success here to really scale the business that much? You know, I think having the bench to service them, we brought on a very, very large client in the right in the midst of the the pandemic and having a good grasp of our technology and being able to use it effectively to scale the business. I think that that's, you know, that's that's been something that's very important. Going back to the HRIS team, I mean, we now have six people in that department. So really using, understanding the technology and and putting it to to proper use i think that uh, that helps you know and then again you know we have a very small internal sales force we have acquired a number of our clients through client referrals you know one of the, our largest client we thought was going to be sold and that's typically where we lose clients and all everybody coming in and buying up companies now and twice in the last couple of years we've had these companies that are coming in they're backed by you know you know private equity money and they're coming in and, and picking up our our clients and assimilating them and we've turned around and not only have we not lost our client but we sold EO services to the the acquiring company so so you know not only did we not lose our largest client but we in turn gained a client that was probably five times larger than them so I think that I think that that is, you know, our clients liked us a lot, and and since typically the management of the the company that's being acquired or the owners are going to stay on, there's some sort of earn out or buyout, and you know they don't want to disrupt what they already have in their relationship, and they tell the purchaser that, and the purchaser says, well, you know, I need some help too, and we ended up you know, getting everybody instead of losing the one client. So that's happened to us at least twice. 
Yeah, it's super interesting. And to your point, I mean, we, I'm sure everybody's seeing that in the industry, right? More and more PE money is coming in and, and a lot of roll-up strategies and company get sold and, and whatnot. And then, you know, oftentimes to your point, like, you know, that, that is one way to lose a client, but it seems like you actually totally flipped that around and, and, you know, looked at a potential threat and, and, and uh, essentially found an opportunity there. I'm curious to know how, how, tell us more about how you actually went about that, right? So you heard, Hey, there's an acquisition. What was the strategy then? And how did you execute that to turn this around and now essentially upsell your client and, and get essentially the choir on, on board as well? Well, again, I think that it was helpful that the client was an advocate for us and, and they get, you know, they didn't want to lose our services and they helped advocate on our behalf. The the one very large one, the sale actually fell through and the acquiring company was with a competitor PEF and they came back to us a couple months later and said, We'd be interested in getting a quote for your services. You know, your client spoke so highly of you. And I thought, you know, they're just using us to leverage you know, their existing PEO relationship. And, and I just didn't think it would ever come through. And lo and behold, we ended up, you know, meeting with them and, and doing our presentation. And, and we ended up selling it, you know, which, and we still have them. And it's been, you know, three years later. And it was, a, it's a substantially very large client. So with, with lots of moving pieces and kind of going back to what you asked earlier, I think that that's something that, that, you know, I've always prided ourselves is we're not an empty box. You know, we're not, we're not a shell PEO. We're, we're, we staff and, and continue to staff work. We're having a job fair right today. We have over 100 people applying for jobs at just the PEO alone to a virtual job fair that is being conducted as I speak right now. We have over 100 people. And now we're recruiting across the country, which you know I think has really been going to be helpful for us. But we probably have five open positions right now, you know, and and we would not tend to keep adding, you know, internal staff. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, overburden your existing and you've got to be able to service these clients. You know, the, the very large client has, you know, operations in like 30 or 40 states. So the out of state was always relatively small for us. Most of our clients are headquartered in Texas. They might hire one person in a given state Well, this client's got 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 employees in a given state. And it just, you you really need to improve your bench so you can understand the, you know, the state tax requirements and the, you know, the workers comp. I mean, this year I spent on our renewal, I spent probably four days with one of our newest employees that has been just a tremendous assistance for me. He's an Excel guru and we ripped apart our out-of-state workers comp and, and, and spreadsheet at every state. So we knew exactly what the various charges are, the minimum premiums, the, you know, the, for all these various states, because it just has become such an important part of what we do. So. Yeah, it's fascinating that like through an M&A process, you actually got some free advertisement here for the business <laughs> and actually close the deal. That, that's, uh, that's great to hear. So it sounds like from, you know, if I read in between the lines, like the, the 
the foundation for your success was certainly the, the service model, right? Technology, just like making sure the clients are happy. Right. And, 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 and focusing on that. Did you also shift your strategy in terms of going up market and acquiring just larger clients to fuel the, the, the growth? Or has that not changed the ideal client profile in terms of size and industry and whatnot? Yeah. I think that we try our very best not to say that we're a PEO for small business because that's no longer true. I mean, more and more. Our client size is no longer a 20 to 25 person, you know, group. You know, we're routinely adding clients that have 150, 200, 300. Again, the large client I was discussing are in the multiple of thousands. And so I, I think that, you know, what's the old saying? Go big or go home. You know, I just think that you can't just, you can't use the old PEO you know, we're here for small business, you know, which we are. There's no question about it. But I think small business needs to be redefined to probably what the Department of Labor considers to be small business, which is probably 5,000 and below or something crazy like that. But I, I think we're getting more and more white collar, as I mentioned, and more and more larger clients. And Norman, I mean, to your point, like traditionally, like, you know, if people think about POs, right, PO clients, like you would think about these smaller clients, like 25, 50 lives, whatnot, right? And now you, you're describing two different shifts, right? One is going up market, right? Serving clients with two, 300 employees and whatnot, but then also a shift in terms of the industry, right? You mentioned earlier, more and more clients come on board with, you know, knowledge of white collar workers. What has shifted either like, you know, with your organization or in the industry to, to be able to serve these different demographics? Technology. I mean, technology is everything, you know, and it's, it's what clients want. You know, it goes back to attracting a workforce now. You know, clients are going to have to be, you know, more amenable to employees working from home or working, you know, working on a, on a hybrid scale or whatever, you know, on a schedule. But that's all technology driven. And you think about it, you know, going out, see, corporate has Workday, which is a very, very, very complicated, very, very expensive platform. And, you know, we, our platform that we use, you know, we're rolling out to these clients with, again, thousands of employees, hundreds of employees, and they don't have to worry about either paying for it. They don't have to worry about keeping it up to date. They don't have to worry about training their employees how to use it. They don't have to worry that who's ever in charge of it's going to leave them or, you know, go out on a leave of absence and not be able to do it or doesn't understand how to update the system, you know, and that's what, I think that not only do we provide the technology that the clients want so they can have a, a you know an, an HR system from A to Z, but we manage it for them and we leverage you know the cost of it. I mean, if they would go out and buy it on their own, they'd be paying X and now they're paying one three hundredths of X, you know, for the cost of it. Plus we you know, again, we manage it and maintain it. So so I think that that has been very important. On the flip side, you know, clients want to make sure that we're not going to have a major cyber incident. And I think that that's another reason why SWBCPEO, we're again, part of a very large financial services company. SWC Corporate's got over 2,500 
employees internally. They provide business services to financial services to banks and credit unions, have a major mortgage division. And so we have a team of cyber here of like 20. We just got our set for cyber, you know, that, that we got as part of the PEO. So we want to make sure our clients appreciate the fact that that not only do we take cyber security, you know, it's very important to us. We train on it, but we also have, you know, the insurance to back it up. And we also have the bench here at corporate to make sure that, that we're protecting the information for our clients. So. It's, un- it's uh, unfortunately probably a topic that's not going away, right? Security no. and and, uh, and whatnot. You mentioned as as a main driver for what I would say, like you know, very positive change for your organization, the industry as a whole. Tell us a little bit more about your specific technology strategy. Are you mostly leveraging a party platform? Are you do you have a development team that builds on that? Is it a combination or how do you how do you think about that? You know, we do have corporate that helps us on, you know, on some of it, but primarily we're like any of the other, you know, PEOs were dependent on one of the larger, you know, PEO payroll platforms and make use of their various plug and play programs that they have available. So, but we also then have corporate that can come in and help us on some aspects of it. So, but we're not like some of, you know, my, the PEOs that are out there that have developed their own software internally. We have not done that. So. So it's really about like being being able to leverage that existing solution and maybe being yeah an innovator or like an early adopter and, and really knowing the platform well, training the people and being able to, to leverage that. So let, let me let me dig into another topic that you and I discussed in the in the past. It seems like Napio played a big role as well in your career, right? Guide us through that journey, right? What what kind of involvement you had in the organization and how it helped to shape you and the organization. Yeah, when I first came in-house, I, even before I came in-house, Wallace and Margaret, we had some pretty good-sized wins that I helped him on on a, on a couple of different matters. And he rewarded my wife and I with a trip to a Napio's annual conference. I think it was in, in Hawaii. I also, I think I attended one someplace. So I had I'd been involved a little bit with Napio just through Wallace. But when I came in-house, I got on the Legal Advisory Council, and that's where I really started. And then I became active in the Texas leadership, you know, the Texas council, whatever we, and was active and would attend the functions there. We were working on various, trying to modernize the the staff leasing licensing act to making in the PEO act. And I did a lot of work with that. I was the chair of the Texas leadership council for, I don't know, four or five years. And then I was asked to come on the board and so I came on, I don't even know what year it was, but got on the board of directors and uh, did that for several years. And I think that right before I was about ready to be turned off, they asked me if I wanted to, you know, go into a leadership role. So then I, you know, turned in, you know, the secretary treasurer and then vice chair and chair and past chair. And then they kicked me out and said goodbye. So. Anyway, but I spent a lot of time and I'm still active with the CPO committee. I'm, you know, the vice chair behind Abram Fickelstein for the, uh, for the PAC. And I serve on the federal government affairs and the legal advisory council. So I go up every year for the federal legal affairs committee meeting and then go to the DC meeting and I'll go to the annual conference. So I'm still involved a lot. 
with Napier. Pat and I both like to play Jeopardy. So we we send text messages back and forth as to who gets final Jeopardy. And so anyway, but it's, you know, it's been important for me just to be around other people and the, the attorneys, you know, especially in the legal advisory council that the outside counsel that I've had the opportunity to meet and work with, you know, there are a bunch of really good lawyers out there in the PEO space. And and a lot of what we do is compliance. And we couldn't have gotten through the pandemic. And don't tell Pat Cleary I said this, but we couldn't have got through this without the the help of Napio. And, you know, they, they really did leverage our dues appropriately to get the people, the experts that could come in and and teach us how to deal with a PPP loan, the ERTC tax credits and everything else we've been dealing with. You know, so PO, I think is, if you're going to be in the PEO space, you should be active in the APO and, and, and meet the others out there and build contacts and relationships and they can help you along on your journey. So, so it seems like besides the, I mean, it seems like you, you gave a lot to the organization, right? Over the years, you also got a lot back, right? In terms of like, networking opportunities and uh, just tangible items like how to navigate you know, the pandemic and, 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 and whatnot. You, you made a call to action here, so to speak, right? Like, you know, for, for PO leaders or POs that are not currently involved, like how do you recommend to, to engage, right? What are the best ways for somebody that might be new in the industry or might not be involved right now in the organization to to get involved i mean i think you can join just about any committee you want to join and you know and and just participate especially at the state level i mean just be active in your state and then you know attend the napio annual conference go to the dc conference i think it's really valuable i haven't been to the cfo in quite a while and and i pretty much so leave the the risk management to our risk management team. But for me personally, you know, the, the, the national and the DC conferences are, are just, it's, I mean, it's, you know, I think another thing that's really benefited the PEO space in the last 10 years is the federal legislation, the CPEO. A lot of people aren't doing it. You know, I did it for our, our, PEO that we were in the first group. I mean, I, I think that the CPEO program, and I think ESD, I'm also on the board of ESD, but but I've always believed the minute I first heard about ESAC, I told Wallace, we need to we need to become ESAC accredited. And then I told the owners of our company once the CPEO came out, we need to become CPEO certified or accredited. And and the reason why is is again going back to client companies back in the blue collar day, they wanted cheap workers comp and they want a payroll. You know, and it was more of a workers' comp arbitrage. Sometimes we could save them, save them enough money where they could still pay us a fee and still save money. But now when you go into a more of a white-collar environment, people are actually paying for our services. And when you're actually paying for something and you have a choice between somebody who is highly accredited and somebody who is not accredited, who are you going to go with? I mean, and so I just felt like we need to be highly accredited. And it kind of goes back to Wallace Bromley. Wallace Bromley was always go big, you know, and, and I agree with that. Go big, you know, you know, get every accreditation you can, you know, do, you know, build the PEO, have it well staffed, have the best technology, you know, and that's how you grow it. So. And the accreditations might also, right. you, you, you mentioned 
you know, this as a tool maybe to increase the conversion rate on, on sales side, right? And and whatnot. But it could also, I assume, be a great tool for you to attract and retain the best talent for your PO, right? As as people are getting an opportunity to learn more, to educate themselves and be on the on the edge and, and learn about new regulations and whatnot. Yeah, I think that it's technology and it's also the bench. I mean, we can't you cannot run a PEO with just technology. Clients want to still talk to a person. We don't have a receptionist who's a voicemail or whatever. We have somebody who's talking to every client when they come in. Somebody's always going to answer the phone. So I, I think you have to have both. And I think that if you if you go all in, you know, you're going to be successful. I mean, you're going to be more successful than you don't. I mean. Wallace used to have the, you know, the saying table stakes, you know, and, and it's more than table stakes. If you're going to be successful, I mean, you need to go big or go home. So, so during our conversation today, we, we, we looked a lot into the rear mirror, so to speak, right? Like in terms of like how the industry developed, how you navigated, how you grew, you know, you mentioned the the desire to go big, right? What if, if you if you look now into the future, right? What do you think will what will happen here if you were to predict in the next five plus years, right? What what kind of trends do you foresee to really materialize? You know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. You know, you've got a piece that have been built by the original entrepreneur. You know, the Wallace Brumleys, the Gary Bradfords in Corpus, the, you know, that in El Paso, these people, you know, that that started these back in the 70s and the 80s or and built these companies and with these larger regional PEOs, of course, you still have your large, you know, five or six. But I, as more and more of the mid-sized PEOs get purchased, I, I just, I, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, again, when you have 100,000, I mean, we struggle with, with 16,000 work lives and the size of our client to keep that personal relationship with the client. And I don't know how much longer you can do that if you continue to grow. And so then, then you really need to make sure your bench is there. And your technologies there, because you know, if you don't have somebody that that personal relationship with the client, then you lose that ability to easily make a mistake and and fix it and be forgiven for it. You know, if they don't know who you are and you make a mistake, you're just another commodity and switch to somebody else. You know, so I don't know if I said that very well, but. So you I know, know I think this, this this could be this could be a whole new episode for another podcast. How do you how do you scale personal relationship and service level? Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you can get that right, I think the the future is bright. Right. Definitely. So so you mentioned your as as an important pillar, so to speak, for you for your career, right? In terms of networking, in terms of relationship knowledge and all of that good stuff. Are there any other sources that you can recommend to to our audience here, right? In terms of educating themselves in terms of like improving their teams, their, their organizations, are there conferences, books, other podcasts that, that you would recommend? You know, I, I think just being out in the public and in in any setting you can be in and networking with people and other business owners or other 
individuals. I mean, I don't think that there's any, you know, magic source. I built my law office years ago on Rotary. My dad was big in Rotary. He was an attorney and Rotary was his his life. He loved it. And so I joined Rotary and that's how I started. But I, I think that I think that again, you personal relationships, building networking, whichever way you go, or you, you know, you it may be a nonprofit, it could be a service organization. It could be whatever you want it to be. It could be Napio. I mean, I, I feel like in my day, my dad had Rotary and I had Napio, you know? And so was it beneficial for me helping me grow the business? Probably not. Yeah, I wasn't getting referrals from my Napio members, but I was learning an awful lot about the industry yeah. and, and watching and seeing what people who have been successful, what they did to get there. And so I think that that helped me. But you know, I, I think that everything's personal and it's something I argue with our sales team about, you know, I, I think networking is everything. I think personal relationships with everything. A lot of people want to do internet marketing and, you know, and I think there's a place for it. I'm sure that it's, but to me, the way you attract and retain clients is building a personal relationship. So, so, you know, so really the call to action here to to find your tribe, so to speak, right? Right. Whether that is Napier or Rotary Club, or I mean there, there are so many different avenues. And you know, your idea about like, you know, well, it's a nonprofit or whatnot, it it resonates. Right. I think people want to do business with people, right? And, and people that they like and they can trust and, and build relationships with us. I don't know if you saw my article in Napier magazine from a month or so ago on the nonprofits, but all of a sudden, I looked the other day, and I think we have like 15 or 16 nonprofits in San Antonio. And it just struck me, you know, I, I was proud of it. I mean, I thought that, well, again, you know, some very, very large organizations, we just got another one recently. And, but every nonprofit's got a board, and every board is made up of business owners of people in the community. So, and you're doing something good for the community. You're helping the nonprofit and we give back, you know, we, we support their different functions. I was just at one, one of our clients is children's bereavement center, which, which, which just happened in Uvalde a couple of weeks ago, children's bereavement center. That's what they assist people with, you know, families who have lost children or children who have lost siblings. And they're, they're going to be very active in Uvalde, you know, which is, 30, 40 miles from us. So, but we'll, but we support them. We go to their functions. I personally give money to them, you know, and that's to me with the nonprofits. It, there's so many different levels that you can benefit from it. So I, I think it's an important part of our book of business. So. Yeah, it's amazing in life sometimes if, if you just give, right? Randomly, whether it's karma or whatever it is, right? Good things come back. Right. So, yeah, so you mentioned, you know, Norman, the, the, the idea of networking, helping each other out, right? If, if, if somebody from our audience today, you know, says like, hey, I want to dig a little bit deeper in one of the, the, the topics and just like have a conversation with you, what, what's the best way to get connected? I mean, they can call me on my cell phone, 210-289-4074, or, or email me at npaul at swbc.com, but just call me or send me an email or you know, maybe... You know, I, I talk to people all the time, probably too much, you know, probably, but anyway, so, well, and I'm not saying that I, I know everything or, or don't know, you know, I just, I've been around for a while and 
have watched the industry grow when I'm probably towards the end of my career, but it's been an interesting. And, and the one thing that I, I, I think is very, where, I, where I'm different than everybody else or many people is I've never owned a PEO. I've never owned a stake in a PEO. I've never owned an interest in a PEO. So, and it's become such a big part of my life from the eighties to now and with never being have any ownership. I don't even think I've owned stock in a PEO. So, so. Well, thank you so much for your openness today, transparency, right? And, and all the great things you, you shared. And then also, you know, for the open invite for the community to, to connect for you. No, it was really a fun and a great privilege to have you on the, on the show today. I still in my head, I'm, I'm trying to, to figure out like an image uh, of you on the West Pass. Maybe you can send us one. We'll put that in the show notes. I definitely will. I had one with my PEO sticker on the side of it. So okay. anyway, I'll find that and I'll send it to you. Perfect. Well, thank, thanks again for all the time. It was great. Well, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is a PEO podcast. We'll see you next time.